This podcast is shareable. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is shareable. The show that's so good, you got to tell someone about it. Every episode, we explore the impact of people and technology on our lives and careers, and we send you away with something shareable. Now, without further ado, let's get to it. I'm Laura Gassner-Otting, and I help people get unstuck. That was succinct. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was expecting like the, the, the full thing. I have so many notes. I was expecting. Oh, my God. okay. Well, well I can well, certainly give you more, but you know, our good friend Clay A. Bear taught me how to do the perfect intro, which is super provocative. And people go, wait, what, what do you do? How do you do that? Who do you get unstuck? And what I do is I say that my superpower is that I am able to see the greatness in people that they maybe have never been able to see themselves or maybe never been able to believe themselves and actually own it and act on it in a way that they can create extraordinary results. I am so invested in us having this conversation um, because that is, it just gives me chills to talk to someone who has that as their thing. So, so many different places to go. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, Michael Port also has a similar thing about his, uh, like when you open yourself for a speaking engagement where he's like the shorter the bio, the better. Um, and I always kind of hang on to that. And it's interesting that Clay has a similar thing. When I go to networking events, I usually, when people say like, what do you do? I try to make up something that's ridiculous so that they have to ask a follow-up question. And I'm like, oh no, I'm just kidding. That's not what I really do. I do this because that whole, like, who are you and what do you do at a networking event turns into like, you know, well, I, I'm a banker and I do this and blah, blah, blah. So, oh yeah. And people tell you all sorts of stuff. That's like industry jargon. And just like, I just, I fell Sorry, I fell asleep. What were you saying? Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent. Well, I did, I, I spent a lot of time on your site. I spent a lot of time watching you on videos and I listened to little snippets here and there of you on podcasts. And I'm very confident that we're not going to go over the same tried and true territory that you've been with others. So I want to start with uh, giving some context and framing for people that are listening. Uh, you, you write something very, very interesting uh, on various web properties that you're on. Uh, and you use a word that I've never heard before, but you help people discover their consonants. Their consonants. And I will tell you, and this is, you know, thank you to the great training of Michael and Amy Port, maybe articulation from, from stage, because if you don't say consonants correctly, it sounds like continents. And I, uh, I, I, I was doing a podcast about a, three weeks ago and the, the podcaster was like, gosh, your articulation is incredible. I was trying to explain why. But consonants is actually a word that you have heard before. We just don't remember it. We remember dissonance, right? When things are just not in harmony, when they don't work, when they're fighting against each other. But consonants is the opposite. Consonants is when you have alignment, when you have flow, when you have harmony. And um, I, I, I've had a lot of debates with, you know, with, with, with people that we know, you know, mutual friends like Mitch Joel, who said, no, look, you can, you can own consonants. It's a word that you've used. It's a word that you've used for 20 years when you've done recruiting, when you've talked to organizations about whether the culture of a candidate is in consonance with their organization and if they'll fit. You know, we all know when somebody comes in who's got the skills, but they don't have the culture fit, it's like organ rejection. And so 
there was this big debate about, you know, what I was going to call the book. And Mitch, uh, in his brilliance was like, look, you can own the word consonants and you can be the consonants lady, but nobody's going to buy a book with a word they don't know on the front cover. So you got to come up with something better. And again, that's when I went back to Clay, who was such a master who helped me come up with the title and the subtitle of this book. So what's the title and the subtitle of this book? Limitless, how to ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life. Ah, okay. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I, I love, I heard you on, um, I, I was watching your show. You were on, um, this is the, the today show, right? Yes. You were on, yeah. So I was listening to you on that. And what struck me is that you go over some of the same territory as, as a lot of other people that are out there, that are talking about living their best life and passion and purpose and mission and kind of a lot of those things that, that tend to overlap. But what I'm struck by is that you speak about it with a sense of very real practical, application of it with a very, it's not BS, I guess, is the shortest way of putting it. So I guess, how do you differentiate yourself in a world of everybody screaming about following their passion, living their dream, living their best life without any real grip on what it means in reality? Yeah, well, the first thing I do is I don't wear a flower crown and look at over a sunset in any of my photos. So, you know, I think I, I, I look, there's nothing in this book that's rocket science, that's for sure. Um, but it's based on 20 years of interviewing people who are at the top of their game and thinking to myself, you know, if all these people are successful, why aren't they all happy? And also noticing in my own life that success, like filling in all the right check boxes and getting myself to all the right places didn't make me perfectly, you know, in sync and happy and fulfilled. And, and I was trying to figure out why. And so for me, it was really trying to notice what was working for people and what wasn't. And I think there's lots of things that we can do, you know, this like this, this, this BS idea of like following your passion and, and all the rest of the advice that we get from those, you know, flower crown girls on Instagram. But I think a lot of it comes down to, to really going back to how we define this idea of success in the first place. And so, you know, it, it, it a lot of this crystallized for me in 2013 when I read Lean In. And I knew I was supposed to love it. I mean, I have a uterus, right? I'm supposed to love lean in. That was like the girl code said, all women should love lean in. This is finally the solution. And even five years after the fact, Sheryl Sandberg's own research says that, you know, for all this leaning in, we're not actually getting ahead. There's not more women in the corner office. There's not, you know, better, um, there's not better pay for women. And, and what I realized as somebody who has long described myself as a socialized male, um, I think that, um, women and men are both stuck, but they we're, we're, we're both struck, um, by the same problem, right? We, we have this one singular myopic definition of success, which is like the fastest, most expedient path to the corner office. And so for me, the reason why none of this other, you know, BS advice ever works is because it's still telling us to go after the same broadly externally defined idea of success, like you know, find your passion and, and lean in and be in perfect work-life balance and have absolute, you know, harmony in, in everything in your life. And and I think that that's, it's, it's ephemeral, it's fleeting, it's, it's not real, it's insidious. And so what I try to do in the book is rather than helping people figure out how to achieve that success, I want to bring it back down to its basics and help people understand how they should define success. And my premise is basically nobody can define success for you except you. How I want to think about how I want to say this. So, I, so first of all, I'm really glad you went down this path because 
I have a note here that I was going to ask you about because you wrote, what if success doesn't equal happiness? And the very next sentence I have there is, isn't that a definition problem more so than anything else? So I'm glad that we went there. I guess I have a couple different things that I want to help under, help me to understand. So the first is, if if that is how success in, in this paradigm you're talking about, it works, that we have to kind of redefine what it is and only you get to define what it is, then kind of broadly speaking, what what would success actually mean? I mean, if it's if it's subjective to each person, is there even a, a definition of success or is it accomplishing the goals that you want? Or like, how would you define it, I guess, would be my first question. And then the second question would be, isn't, isn't success in this case, the way you're talking about it, a little bit like happiness in which it's not actually a destination, but maybe it's sort of the starting point or the journey itself? Yeah. So uh, let me take your second question first, which is the confusion with happiness. I think there's this paradox that we think, oh, you know, I'll be happy when, right? And first of all, I think like those words, I, I think that those are like dream killers. Like before they even exit your mouth, they've already squashed your dreams. They're like, I'll be happy when I get married. I'll get happy when I get the job. I'll be happy when I lose 10 pounds. I'll be happy when I, you know, do whatever the thing is that I've been carrying around in my backpack forever. When a lot of times we've already changed and outgrown that dream. So A, we might not even want that. And B, like, why can't we be happy now, right? Like, why can't the journey be part of it? There was a study that I read once a long time ago that said that 80% of happiness um, that's derived from a vacation comes from the actual planning of the vacation and not the actual going on the vacation. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty interesting, right? That some of it is just the journey. It's the imagination. It's the dream. And so I like that. Um, but I think that we confuse happiness a lot of times with this, this feeling of, of, of fulfillment, you know, if you've got a friend, your best friends in the next cubicle, you're going to be happy. If you've got an easy commute, you're going to be happy. If they give out free snacks at work that you like, you're going to be happy. But does that put you in consonance? Does that align everything, you know, with who you are? Um, does that work for you? Maybe not. And that's because I define success, not as happiness, but as this idea of consonance and consonance is defined in the book very simply as when what you do matches who you are. So when what you do matches who you are, isn't going to come from an easy commute or snacks at work or your best friend in the next cubicle or bring your dog to work day. Those things are all they're, they're, they are, they are, they are byproducts of consonance, but, but it, they're, they're not, they're not the full picture. So is that overlap then of, of, um, what you do and, and who you are sort of answering the question of why you do it? If it's the kind of thing that actually works for you and is aligned with you, a lot of people go, well, if, if you talk about what they do and you say, well, does that match who you are? And they go, well, no. And then you say, well, why do you do it? And they're like, I don't, I don't actually know. And for some people they will say, well, I do it because the money is good. And I, I that it gives me a lifestyle that I want. It, it allows me to have, um, things in my life that, that make sense for me. Or maybe they say, well, it's not necessarily connected to a calling that I care about, but I really like the work I do on a daily basis. And I can see how that work impacts the calling. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking that, it, that, that success, this, this success that made us happy was really where there was complete overlap between everything that we did at work and everything that we were as a person. What I realized was that work means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so the idea of consonance comes from these four pieces of calling, connection, contribution, and control that we can talk more about. But each one of us is going to value each of those things at different points in our lives, at every age and at every life stage differently. So for example, when I was young and volunteering at a presidential campaign, 
that my work was not connected whatsoever to the overall calling. Like the, the Bill Clinton was not going to win the presidency if I got the coffee that day or if I made the Xerox that day or not. Right. Like I was a gopher. I had no connection whatsoever to the, to the bottom line, but boy, was I inspired like crazy. And I also knew that it was contributing to my life in a way where I, it was giving me the ability to manifest my values on a daily basis. And maybe was going to impact this, you know, an incredible career velocity that I could have if you won, but I had no control over any of it. Right. So I didn't have all four of those things, hundred percent of each of them, but I had parts of them that I was willing to sacrifice in order to have more of others. And I can't make that decision for everyone else. You know, that person who I was when I was 21 is not the person that I am now that I'm 48. I mean, my, my rubric looks completely different and I'd imagine mine looks different from yours and yours looks different from then what either of ours is going to be 10 years from now. But the idea that success is this monolithic thing, that there's one definition and either we're achieving it or we're not just, just didn't work for me. I like that a lot. I, I want to back up to the, to the kind of um, the ugly baby conversation of like, why do you do it? I don't know. Maybe it's good money. I, I think there's, whenever these sort of conversations come up, we get this burst of excitement and enthusiasm around living our purpose, living where we have this matching up between who we are and what we do. And the, the idea is so exciting, especially to people who are stuck in a rut, uh, to use uh, a term that you address pretty frequently, um, or, or who are just not living their best life, right? So we, we love that idea. We're inspired by it. We want that. But then there's the reality of, I have to pay my bills. And there tends to be a very um, a sizable gap between where, where I am and where I want to be maybe. And that is, I think the chasm that's so difficult for people to cross. So how do you address that? I mean, how that, cause that's a reality for people. If you need to say support two kids and you're a single mother or you're, you know, in whatever situation you're in, where it may seem like a daunting task to kind of live that purpose. How do you work with people through that? Well, so I think that's where that's where the idea that the, these four C's of consonants are weighted differently for everyone. So, you know, when my kids, I've got two teenage kids and when they were much younger, I, I wanted to make enough money, right? There's the want to make number and the need to make number. And I needed to make the need to make number. That was table stakes. The want to make number told me the difference between when I went on vacation, if I was staying at the holiday and the four seasons, right? But the, the, the need to make number was I got to pay my mortgage. So when I was younger and I had young kids and I was first starting my business, um, what I cared more about was I had to make enough money so that I could, you know, pay the bills. But I also wanted to make sure that I had flexibility because if, you know, one of those kids had, you know, God forbid there was a lice outbreak at school, ask me how I know this, I had to be there so that I could pick them up. I had to have the sort of flexibility and I was willing to sacrifice the want to make number, maximizing my impact um, in, in, you know, for my bank account so that I can maximize my impact for my family. That was where I was at the time. You know, when I was young, before I had kids, I was like, you know, balls to the wall, like that's maximize profit as much as we possibly can. And I'll worry about everything else later. So it's, if I were to say to myself, well, I'm building this company, I've got two kids that are in, you know, preschool and early elementary school. And I'm, and, and I'm able to, as an entrepreneur, I've got all this great control over the work that I'm doing and I'm able to um, build a business, which is my calling. And I can see how it's doing that every day, but my contribution piece may not be as much money, but it's maximum flexibility. 
And I'm also able to maximize the way that I'm manifesting my values by only picking the clients to help that that are the ones that I, that have causes that I care about. Then if I were to say, I'm not making the most amount of money possible. Am I a failure? Am I a success? The answer would be yes. Um, or sorry, I'm not maximizing the amount of money I have, you know, am I, am I a failure at this, at this thing called success? The answer would be yes. But if I were to say, am I successful because I'm actually able to do a work, the work in the way that works for me and works for my family at this moment in time, absolutely. I was successful in that. But it, you know, if you, if you open up, you know, Instagram or Facebook and, you know, you see, somebody sitting there with, you know, their G5 jet, you go, well, maybe I'm a failure. I don't really know. So I think, um, when it comes down to it, the idea of, are we successful or not really comes down to, well, what do you care about? And who are the people you want to show up for? And what are the causes that you care about? And, and while you're in this space, um, in, in the work that you're doing, how is it allowing you to live? And if it's, if it's not letting you fulfill the things that you actually care about, then you have to make a change. But if it is, and it's just the outside world that's telling you that it's not working, then I think that's where the sort of ignore everybody, carve your own path comes into the, the puzzle. I love this. And I want to pull on the thread of the four C's a little bit before, because you brought up something that, that I think is so, such an interesting path to go down that I, I've made a note on and we're going to come back to it. But I want to pull on the thread of the four C's for a little bit. Um, so... Uh, kind of two questions that are related. Uh, the first would be that is it is it um, as as part of getting to this idea of success? Once you've defined what it is, are the four C's what you would believe to be sort of the mechanism of being able to bring some sort of measurement or data analysis into being able to figure out if you're on the right path? I mean, just kind of subjectively looking at each of the four C's and figuring out, well, how much more of this do I need? Or should I be pulling back on this? Or where can I make a change? It is, are you saying that the four C's are more of a, uh, like a tool to look at to measure if you're going to get where you define your success to be? Is it, is it kind of a reactive thing or a proactive thing? Like, how do you see these four C's fitting? So the, the writing of the book, uh, got, very complicated partway through when I realized it's not just calling connection, contribution, and control. It's calling connection, contribution, and control as they matter to you at this moment in your life. Right. And so in my brain, I sort of, I sort of had this mini aneurysm where I was trying to figure out how do I create this like massive 3D model where I can show that these are the, these are, these are the things that make up consonants. But in fact, they're going to be different for every single person at every different time. And it's almost like a stereo mixing board, right? Where if you are mixing um, a, a, you know, a hip hop album and you have somebody who's doing jazz doing the levels and it's going to sound all wrong. Right. And vice versa. So it's got to be right for the person who's thinking about it. And so, um, what I did is I actually put together a quiz, um, and it's at limitlessassessment.com. So your listeners can, can go and take that. It's, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes. They're pretty catalyzing questions that are, that will get you thinking about what work means to you and how it's creating the life that you want to, that you want to have. But at the end of it, I, I actually create a radar ch uh, chart. It took me about three weeks and taking, I would say 80 other quizzes I found online to try to figure out what the right version of this would be, right? The, what the right um, uh, visual demonstration of this would be. But when you take the quiz, 
you get a result. And there's, there's one radar chart that shows how much of calling connection, contribution and control you have in your life right now. And then a second one that hopefully overlaps somewhat that shows how much of each you want to have in your life. And so it'll actually show you very specifically where you're in consonants and where you're out of consonants. And then of course, there's some tips and tricks about things you can do to get more of each of these things in your life that you want them. Cause it's not really a question of, you have 80% of each of them across the board, you're successful, or you have 20% across the board, you're not. It may be that what you care about deeply in your life is calling. And if you have lots of calling, but you don't care that much about what you're doing every day, as long as you're part of the team that's helping solve that problem. So your, 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 your desire for connection is 20%. If you have 20% connection, then you're winning, right? That's success. So it really, I, it, it was, it was, it was like a math problem that I couldn't figure out because I make my living with words. So just try to figure out a way to visually show the results that could show somebody that even if they have very little of one of them, that still might mean success for them. That's beautiful because my, my, one of my follow-up questions was going to be out, is there one that's more important? And I think the answer based on what we just said is that it's dependent upon each person. For some people, it might be more important they have high contribution. In other cases, it might be more important that they have higher control. So everybody has, based upon what, who they're trying to be and what they do, that kind of overlap, uh, they have one that may be more important to them. So that makes perfect sense to me. I want to pick on something else that you said that I think is super important. And I think it fits beautifully with the topic of this show, uh, being the impact of people and technology on our lives. You kind of brought up this, um, a couple of times you've kind of alluded to like Instagram influencers and the impact of social media. And, you know, there's that saying that you're most like the five people that you surround yourself with this idea that, you know, who you surround yourself with matters. And then we have social media where we have the influx of thousands of people and their agendas and what they want to project and the carefully curated lifestyle that they're presenting. And I'm curious as someone who works in the work that you do with people who are dealing with highly emotional states of like trying to understand and appreciate their own success or failures or life goals, how you view the impact of technology when there are these people that are, you know, renting Lamborghinis so that they can pretend that they're actually a millionaire. Like how do you see technology as a force in present day around people getting more clarity around what success means to them. So I grew up in politics, you know, my very first job was working in the White House. And so I spent a lot of time, um, I've spent a lot of time with people who create um, false persona, if you will. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln grew up in a log cabin, he built himself, <laughs> you know, sort of, sort of idea behind that. And um, so I think I've got a bit of a gimlet eye towards that, um, to, towards that already. And I think that's helpful because even though I can see the downside of social media, I can see, um, I can see where the sort of the comparison game becomes really bad. Um, I, uh, you know, I also can see the incredible community that it helps to create. I mean, you and I know each other because we're part of a community of speakers and we would never have met each other otherwise. And so my life is so much richer because of technology, because of the people that I get to see. And I'm able to form, um, you know, what I call family. It's like your combination of friends and family, the, the people who, who, who support you and love you and encourage you and hold you accountable. And so many of the stories that I get to tell throughout the book are people that I've met through social media and that I've been able to see and I've been able to watch. 
I also, I think I also in particular use social media to show vulnerability as well. I think, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking and I speak at colleges and companies and conferences, and there's always a young woman who comes up to me afterwards at some of the conferences uh, that I speak at. She's always the, the, she always is just about the same person. She, she's, she's a little bit tentative, but she's like a little bit funky. You can tell that she's got a little bit of style, but she's not quite sure who she is yet. And she comes up to me and she always asks me a question, which goes something like, how'd you get to be so fierce? And sometimes it's like, how'd you get to be so cool? How'd you get to be so confident? How'd you get to be so badass? And I think that question is hilarious because deep down inside of me, I'm still the same, you know, nervous, anxious girl who went to computer sleepaway camp when I was 13 years old and was the only girl there, but still didn't kiss a boy till I went to college. You know, I'm still like the same giant bag of uncertainty and insecurity. And yet people see me externally as this person who's got it all figured out. I mean, even Hoda on the Today Show was like, you seem to have it all figured out. And then I rolled my eyes at her laughing and I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, I, I <laughs> noticed that. I mean, I just thought it was such a hilarious comment and all I could think of was, yeah, of course I don't think I have it all figured out because I've got NBC hair and makeup on right now. I look amazing. I look 34. It's fantastic. But I think we look at other people and we judge them by their highlight reels when all we're looking at is our own bloopers. And so I think social media forces us to do that sometimes, but I think if we can use social media and use technology to actually make more connections with people and to actually sh- like to stop fronting so much, right? And to actually show vulnerability. I mean, we're in this group of speakers and we there are some people in this group who always are like, well, you know, here's my here's all the great things that I'm humble bragging about today but I'm not really, I'm just, you know, asking for advice, but really I'm humble bragging. And we know, um, we know that they do that because it's insecurity. And so I just, I just try not to get caught up in that. And I try to keep coming back to, well, yeah, that person may be speaking in all these different countries and all these different audiences and doing all these different things, but actually they're not charging any money. And is that what I call success? I'm not really sure, right? That's not success for me. It may be success for them because it's helping them build a platform that helps them do other things but for me, that's not necessarily my definition. Yes, yes, and yes about all of that. Um, the question becomes, though, how do we change the culture? Because th- this this is the big thing that this is the game that we're playing in, right? So if you're, I, I'm fascinated by leadership and company culture, and I'm always trying to think about how I can make a bigger impact there. And then I'm always confronted with the reality of. Yeah, but I'm on the I'm on the side of the minority here that's pushing this rock uphill and there's so many headwinds against me, right? And sometimes I feel very pessimistic about that. And then I look at something like, you know, redefining success for you of what it means and trying to push that uphill. And then I look at social media and say maybe we should be more vulnerable and connected. I mean, I got into social media exclusively because I felt it was going to be naively entirely a force for good. I thought all of the good things that I've gotten from social media about connecting with people and making new friends and, you know, all of the amazing things that I've had, I thought that's what social media was going to be. And then years later, I'm looking at it now and I'm saying, well, crap, there's so much amplification of garbage and there's so much fronting and pretending and uh, people I call pretendpreneurs where they're just flashing these wads of cash and jets. And it's like, bro, that's not real. Like you're like 22 and all you're doing is posting motivational memes on Instagram. So I I guess like I I share in your, in your desire for this to be the thing I share. I want to see that world. I guess I just, 
I'm having trouble in my mind connecting how we do that because the incremental steps for this, I'm not sure are going to get us there because I feel like the incentive structure is not there for people being vulnerable, being connected, being kind, being supportive, um, taking the slow route, redefining success. All of that stuff seems like, yeah, I want that. But how do we truly impact and affect change in a world where the incentive structure is totally against that? Well, I think we have to define what the world is that we're affecting, right? So I think number one, you don't have to go to every fight you get invited to. Right? I mean, I think that's a really important thing to, to know. So like, just because somebody is posting with their cash and their jets on, on social media, you don't have to engage and you don't have to respond and you don't have to like it, or you don't have to do any of those other things. Because I do think like, once we have realized what the problem is and you and I, we have realized what the problem is. If we're not part of the solution, I think we're complicit. Like I really do believe that even if we're fighting an uphill battle, we still have to fight the battle. And I think the only way that the best way to fight an uphill battle is to, is to, is to make ourselves have less drag. And how do you do that? You take all the rocks out of your backpack. They're so heavy that are weighing you down. And who are those rocks? Those rocks are all those toxic vampires that are in your life. You know, all those people who post all that stuff that makes you feel bad, maybe about yourself, maybe about them, maybe about the state of the world in general, right? You know, that one friend who's constantly putting stuff about about how amazing their life is, right? Well, forget about them, screw them. What about the friend who is constantly complaining about how terrible their life is? Oh, little Johnny's an ear infection again, right? Whatever, deal with it. I dealt with it, deal with it. We can all deal with it. Everybody's, you know, kids get ear infections. So what about the people who are there who are just takers, who are, um, you know, they're, they, they always want to pick your brain or they always want to, you, you got a minute or, you know, Hey, can you look at this thing? But then when you need them, they're gone, right? All these people who are in your life or who are on your social media feed who take, 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 take. And then when you need something are gone, they're not there. They're not supportive. They're like, Block them. I mean, I have gone through and, you know, if you say like you're, you're the average of the five people you keep closest to you. And I really believe that that's true. Well, if you, there are five people in your life who you have that you want to be influencing you, all the rest of these toxic vampires are diluting those, the energy and the, and the power of those five people in your life. And so I think, yeah, we want to fight this uphill battle. We want to change the world, but I'm, I have come to a, a, the realization that the best way to change the world is to change our own space and to, then to change our own community and then to change, you know, levels and, and circles beyond that. I've been so overwhelmed at the response that I've had from this book. And I think you saw that I, speaking of vulnerable, I posted on Facebook a couple of days ago that I just, I have this overwhelming need to, to, to not just get it right with the advice that I'm giving to people, but to not get it wrong, to not tell people things that are wrong, that are going to send them down the wrong path. And it, it sort of hit home for me when a friend of mine, a woman that I, um, that I, profile in the book actually got a tattoo of the cover art of the book on her arm with uh, a line. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, it is, it's the, it's, it's, it, it says I am limitless and has the big, beautiful infinity symbol. And then it says be your own dog. And it has my initials LGO on it. And I, the be your own dog was like a throwaway line where I was like, run your own race, be your own dog, do your own thing. This is what Tara did. And this is why she's, you know, in consonants and why she's happy. And she sent me a video 
of, of, of this to like a, a group of us that are like in a little exercise group together, an accountability group together. And she's like, I was trying to think of how I wanted to honor you. And I know I'm going to see you in a few days, but I couldn't wait. And she tells this whole story about the way that my words impacted her and how honored she was to be in the book. And she wanted to think about a way to keep this close to her and inspire her every single day to be that kind of person. And then she rolls up her sleeve and she shows this tattoo. And I, I was so overwhelmed. I was, I was almost like nauseated that I was like, I was, I had so much emotion boiled up inside of me that I didn't even know what to do. And I was with my family. We were on vacation when I got the video and I literally had to like send them away to like go to breakfast on their own and like process this for like an hour. And these are the kinds of people who are in your life. And, you know, I may not be changing the world, but boy, I'm having an impact on some people. Well, I, I personally think that we can agree that objectively, when somebody gets a tattoo based on something you've said and done, that that is success. I don't think that's I mean, a subjective I, measure. I think that that's a pretty widely accepted objective measure. I told my husband, I'm like Van Halen, you know. <laughs> 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 um, and but you know, but I uh, I I I thought that it was a it was it was an interesting thing because it just made me realize you know, the value of our words really matter. And over the course of the last couple of weeks doing the promo for, for Limitless, the book promo, I've gotten a bunch of people sending me emails to the effect of, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but nine years ago, you gave me this advice and here's what I did with it. Or, um, you know, I had one woman who was like 10 years ago, I was in an interview. I mean, I was a young woman of color and you were interviewing me with a, with an, with an older, uh, white guy. And he was saying things that I think he thought were kind, but they were kind of racist and misogynistic. And, and you, you know, you sort of stood up for me and showed me how to, how to, how to show up with power and, and be myself. And I had somebody else saying I cooked at a, at a, at a party that you were at and you gave me some advice, you know, while we were standing in the kitchen and I just wanted, you to know, I, I left that business and I started my own business. And it's been this overwhelming thing in the last couple of weeks because I'm so like in the flow right now. And, you know, in the, in, 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 in the media that people are, are coming to me that I haven't seen in a long time. And I've just been really surprised that, I, that these, that this advice, and I didn't remember any of these people, right. That these throwaway lines, these like meet you for coffee and just kind of, you know, have a random conversation, people take them seriously. So I think, you know, technology may be problematic, but it also connects us to lots of different people. And I think it allows us to maybe not change the world, but to change the people that we interact with in a way that they can go out and continue to change the world. So even if we don't see them, even if they're not like next to us, pushing the boulder up the hill, I think they're still there. I think that's such an important point to remember because um, you had written something around how um, when you ask people to like name a recent accomplishment, they'll often start with we instead mm-hmm. of I, they have like a hard time, like saying like, well, I accomplished this. They have a hard time with that kind of selfishness. And I want to come back to talk about that in a little bit, but um, this idea of undervaluing our own accomplishments and undervaluing the the contributions that we put out into the world, the stories that you're talking about, as soon as you started mentioning them, I had this flood of different stories of my own where people have come back to me about something I wrote five years ago or about they saw me at this thing and they thought it was great. And, you know, they went and they did this and it made an impact. And, you know, I think at the time, if you had asked me around any of those events, like name an accomplishment or name something good that you did, I don't think I would have named any of those things. But then when they come back years later, you realize that you're actually doing things and making an impact and kind of to your point of, you know, taking on the world versus making, you know, whatever impact you can. 
I think if you were to ask any of us bright-eyed idealistic dreamers, if you can change the world by changing one person, we'd all be like, yeah, man, domino effect, butterfly effect. You know, you change one person, they go and change one person, all of a sudden everything's better, right? And, and we say those things. And yet when it comes time to think about the impact we've made, it comes time to appreciate the contributions we've made. Very rarely can we jump to that, but we can point to all the things that we got wrong or that we were afraid of getting wrong. Um, it, it's just such an odd human condition. And I don't know how we fix that. Um, one, one question I would have for you around that kind of going back to the I versus we distinction and, and this difficulty of being proud of our accomplishments. Um, I tend to, so I can come off as boastful to some people. Like I'm a pretty confident guy, sometimes borderline cocky. And I know that it rubs people the wrong way, but on the other side of it, I see a lot of the same people who would have the criticisms for that are not proud enough of their own accomplishments or putting themselves out there. What is, what is this? Where does this come from where we can't allow ourselves to be proud of what our accomplishments are? What are we missing? What are the things we need to be changing our focus on? I'd imagine something with these four C's helps us to better align uh, our own definition of success with acknowledging our own contributions and, and the, the things that we're doing that are worthy of acknowledgement. So for me, it's a very simple question. I ask people, you know, when they're like, oh, I don't know, I shouldn't be so ambitious. I'm not, you know, we, we like, we have this, we have this, this, like the word ambition has gotten a really bad rap lately. And I think especially for women, right. You know, she's so ambitious, right. We, we hear that a lot. Um, and with men, you know, you get, oh, he's really, he's really confident, right. He's really, he's really cocky, but you know, we're not the ones with the, with the jets and the cash and the stuff on Instagram. It's, it's, I think it's, I, I, there's substance that's, that's behind it. And I think that's, that's the real difference. Um, and so what I usually ask people who are feeling shy about their accomplishments or, um, or, or, you know, they, they feel like they're not getting to the place they want to get to because they're not, you know, doing good PR for themselves. I usually ask them, would being in a position with more power, more money, more influence, more platform, more of whatever it is that you need help you to show up more for the people that you love or the causes that you hold dear? And the answer is always, of course, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not just your ambition, it's your responsibility. And I really do believe deep in my soul that each one of us, um, each one of us has multitudes within us. Each one of us is more powerful than we think we are. Each one of us is better than we think we are. And I think it's surrounding, it's getting out of like the noise and the toxic vampires and it's surrounding ourselves by those right five people that really push us to say, well, why are you not doing this thing? What's standing in your way? What are you afraid of? You know, I, I, I'm on this crazy speaking journey, uh, which I never planned to do. I'm, I am very much an accidental speaker. I'm an accidental author. I'm an, I was an accidental CEO of my company. I, I always loved being stage left, like my favorite place ever there. I have a, I, I do a lot of political fundraising and I have a picture of, uh, of a, of a Congresswoman in my house who's speaking, um, you know, I was like, you know, at, at the front of the room and she's a little bit blurry and I'm sort of in sharp focus stage left, like just looking at her with just such pride, um, and adoration that she's doing all these great things. And it's, if, if I were to, find a photo that really embodied me, it's really that. So even though most people know me as like center stage, standing in the spotlight, really who I am in my core is I'm that person that sees the greatness in other people and encourages them to do more and be more. And a lot of times I think that that starts with owning 
who you are and what you can do. When I sold my last business to the team that helped me build it, I got a phone call from our mutual friend, Tamson Webster, who said, you know, I, I saw this blog post you wrote and you really ought to think about applying to do a TEDx talk. And I picked up the phone on, 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 on hands free. Cause I was driving in the car with one of my teenage sons and, uh, he was 14 at the time. And when she asked me that my, my response was no way on earth. I would know that's terrifying. I absolutely not. And I hung up the phone and my son looks at me and he says, so, uh, mom, don't you always tell me that, uh, what, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And don't you always tell me that, you know, if, uh, if that life starts on the other side of the fear, (laughs) don't you always tell me to do hard things? And I sort of looked at him and I was like, ah, shoot. I got to do this, don't I? And he was like, yep. <laughs> so I called Tamsin back. And six weeks later, I'm standing on the TEDx stage in front of 2,600 people, no notes, no net, go. And it was incredibly terrifying to do. But had I not done it, the, that message that I had would not have been shared. Seth Godin talks about this idea that when we keep our gifts to ourselves, and our, and our, and our brilliance to our success to ourselves, we're actually stealing from all the other people around us who could benefit from it. So I think, I think we have to, we have to own some of that ambition and we have to do those hard things because I think we owe it to everybody to do it that way, to be that person, to show up in the world in a way that we can, that we can make them better and they can make us better. I mean, that's community, right? Yeah. Well, big shout out to your, uh, to your son for throwing your words back in your face. My wife does that to me. She'll send me my own blog posts sometimes. And it, it, it is a frustrating experience, but it is a nice reminder that at one point I had a thought that I could apply to myself. Um, well, you know, it's funny because when you write a book that the subtitle is how to ignore everybody and you have teenagers, it's, it's my kids, whenever I tell them they should do things, they're like, so is this a part we should be ignoring or not? Or not. Yeah, right. You made that bed. That, that's I'm that's like, on well, you. Great. <laughs> yeah, that's your own fault right there. Totally. I'm blaming Clay. It's Clay. It's Clay Abear's subtitle. I'm blaming. It's, it's all his fault. Oh my God, I'm going to name this episode "Blame Clay Abear." Um, <laughs> Clay, I will tell you that the moment that Clay Abear came up with this title, the subtitle for me, it completely changed the tenor, the tone, the cadence of the entire book. And we had that moment where we were talking about what the book should be called, and. He, 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 we were brainstorming back and forth and back and forth. And then he finally threw it back at me. Like, so you want it to be called limitless. You want people to feel limitless. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you want them to ignore everybody, carve their own path and live their best life. And I was like, yes. And he's like, so that's your title. And I was like, wait, what? And he goes, limitless, how to ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life. And I said, Clay, oh my God, I love you. And I don't talk to you enough. And I want to stay on the phone with you forever, but I need to hang up the phone and go write this book right now. That's amazing. I feel like I need to talk to him now because I need a subtitle for my book. <laughs> yeah, do it. He's brilliant. So I want to ask you one more question about this that kind of dovetails into my, I guess my final question is, um, but so you have this perspective, you are this person, you are writing a book about being limitless. You've written a book about being limitless. You have all of these attributes. We've had this whole conversation about, you know, changing the world, uh, finding your consonants. Is this natural? Did this come from, are you just this person? Because I've, I find that this happens to me where I'll get on video or I'll go to a networking event and people go, oh, well, that's easy for you because you're a blaring extrovert. You're like a stick of dynamite when you walk in the room. So of course you're going to tell me to go and do this in a sales situation, or of course you're going to tell me to do this in a networking or public speaking situation because you're fearless about that stuff. And in some cases they're right. In some cases they just don't see the, the, the ugly fears behind the, the curtain, but 
Um, you know, you've got all of this perspective. I'm curious if this has been the lifelong who you are and how you operate, or if something happened to kind of cause you to give pause and, and go down this path. You know, in 20 years of interviewing people, I used to say that I was so lucky, not because I got to hear the what somebody accomplished or how they accomplished it, but I got to hear the why they accomplished. I got to hear these stories of, you know, the, the moment, the, 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 the mother, the father, the mentor, the coach, um, the teacher, the somebody who influenced them, or I got to hear about the diagnosis or the world tragedy or the something that like changed their life and set them on a different path. And I wish I could say that there was a moment where I went, oh, I got it. But the truth is I'm still that, you know, super nerdy computer sleepaway camp geek um, who can't dress myself to save my life. I mean, I literally have to have like somebody pick out clothes for me and take out my closet because I don't know how to match clothing. Well, they're doing um, a great job. Everything I've seen you, you look fabulous. Well, yeah, they do a great job. And I, but I, like, I didn't go to girl school. Like, I don't know how to do that stuff. And, um, and, and, uh, one of my friends, every time I show up wearing something, he was like, Oh, did Cynthia do that? I'm like, yep, <laughs> it definitely wasn't me. So I, I think that I, I would love to say that that's who, would, who what it is. I mean, I am a Jewish mother, so I do come a little bit by it naturally of like, we've got this, you know, this thing inside of us. That's like, okay, well, where are the other, you got a 98, where are the other two points? Let's keep going. But I think, um, I, I have always been, uh, a raging introvert, but a boundless, uh, idealist. And I, I, I do believe that there's an adventure around every corner. If we just look hard enough, when my youngest son was like five years old, he was fascinated with trains. And so I, I took him just to like ride in the T in Boston, the subway in Boston. And we happened to, to get out downtown and, um, elephants were just walking down the street. It was like literally the circus had come to town and these elephants were just like on parade down the street. And I, I looked at him and he had this, this, this look of awe in his face that like, that could just be a normal thing. Like you could emerge from the subway and elephants could be parading down the street. Like that's just, that's normal to him. And so I just think that there is an outlook. Like you can either choose to say today's going to suck, or you're going to say like today's an opportunity and there are things that I can do. And I think as long as there's still breath in your body, there's opportunity to learn and to grow. And again, to surround yourself with people who are inimitable, who are just owning life. They're just eating the world for breakfast. And I think that, I think that, I think that just as misery is contagious, I think joy is contagious too. I love it. I love it. Well, you've been an absolutely phenomenal guest. Uh, I feel like I could talk to you for days on end about these different topics, about the world, how we change it, um, how we bring out the best in ourselves and each other. And I, I just, I think you've been a joy to talk to. Um, I want to turn to, we have a, a, just a little rapid fire thing that we do at the end. They're called shareables. It's just so I can get a couple things from my guests and share them with the audience. Um, and then I'll give you a chance to let people know everything about where you can go and uh, work with you and connect with you and learn more about what you're working on. So cool. uh, ready for the shareables? Yes. All right, here we go. What's one book every person should read? Um, this is a weird book to choose, but there's this book that I love called by Ursula Heggie, who called Stones from the River. It's a, it's a fiction book and it's about a dwarf in World War II. Um, and what I love about the book is that because this, this, this woman is this dwarf, everybody discounts her. And so they, she gets to hear all these state secrets and she actually is able to help with the Nazi resistance because people dismiss her. And I just, I think that that book is an incredible book because it just tells me that we are not the person that everyone sees. We're the person that we think we can become. Amazing. Uh, what's your favorite podcast? This one, of course. 
Uh, you can't say shareable. You have to give me a different one. <laughs> I mean, I will say Mitch Joel, six pixels. I think that um, Mitch is, uh, as somebody who spent 20 years interviewing people and trying to hear their stories and get out of them the things they don't always tell everybody all the time, but to really get deep into the conversation, I think Mitch is one of the best interviewers out there. I 100 and a thousand percent degree, you know that I am uh, such a huge fanboy, but uh, I think he's, he's the best around. Uh, what's one application, mobile or desktop, that everyone should go and download and you cannot say Evernote? I actually like Notion. I've been using Notion lately as a way to communicate with my assistant. And um, she puts my calendar in there every day with links to all the things that we need. And everything is in this beautiful structure. And it is, I check it three times a day. I check, I have like a little email and Notion check in my calendar three times a day in the morning, midday, and at the end of the day. And I just go through, check off all the things that need to be done, reply to her. And it is seamless. That's outstanding. Uh, what is the most important skill of the future? And you cannot say empathy. <laughs> is that what people, everybody's using Evernote yeah, to so, keep their notes about empathy? <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've had to make some restrictions just because otherwise the question would become all of a sudden moot. And I, I actually want to learn some new things that are like important skills or applications, but they, the same two keep coming up. I would say listening. Um, I think that we all say, um, and, and it's not just listening to be more empathetic and to learn about people, but it's listening to just learn and to realize what we don't have. You know, everyone's like, oh, tell me about your blind spots. Well, if I knew them, they wouldn't be blind spots, right? <laughs> like, I think, I think listening, and I think as we get into higher and higher positions of leadership, our role as leaders is to talk more. And the more you talk, the less you can listen. And when you stop listening, you stop learning. So for me, it really is listening. I just got back from this beautiful weekend retreat, Renaissance weekend, and there's this incredible, like astronauts and Nobel Prize winners and Mark Arthur geniuses, and they're giving talks about all sorts of things. And the very first day, the very first talk, I went to one about the future of talent. And I sat there thinking, I already know all of this stuff. And then why am I here? And I spent the rest of the three-day weekend going to, um, going to uh, lectures about math and about creativity and about space travel and about all sorts of things that I know nothing about and have shied away from because they make me feel kind of dumb. And I learned so much and they expanded my brain in such incredible ways. So I would say just listening, I think is one of the most, active listening is one of the most important things we can do. God, I love that answer. I love it so much. I also think like listening is a skill that should be uh, practiced because we're just generally so bad at it that it's like, if yes. you don't lose it, you lose it. So it's we're almost so like, bad at it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like being without your phone for like two hours, right? Like how many people are actually more than 15 feet away from their phone for two hours at any given point during the day? And it's not like there, there's necessarily some great joy to be attained from like being away from your phone, but just the fact that we can in the same way, I feel like just even being able to listen seems like at, at this point in life would be like a really important skill for some people. I think so. Absolutely. When I first started my career in recruiting, I remember seeing a colleague of mine at the end of the day and she looked shattered. And I was like, are you okay? Is everything all right? And she's like, I've just been interviewing all day long. I've just been listening all day long. I'm exhausted. And I remember thinking, whatever, listening, how hard is that? And then I started really listening, like listening to what people were saying but also listening to how they were saying it and listening to what they weren't saying and listening to the pauses and seeing their facial expressions as they thought about what they were going to say and what they weren't going to say. And there is so much that goes into it. And I think the reason to bring it full circle to the beginning that I'm so good at seeing the greatness in people is because I really know how to listen to their hopes and their dreams, even the ones that are unspoken. And I think the real trick 
to, to, um, it's a real trick to seeing somebody and frankly, having empathy and all those other things is really active listening is really getting good at it because you're right. It is a skill and it's a muscle and it's something that we have to develop and it's something that we lose when we don't do it. Well, just to, just to add one additional point there, just to point out something that you said, but you were not, you were saying not just listening to people, not to just the words that they're saying, but how they're saying it. I don't think many people, when they think about listening, think about it any more than just hearing. Like, oh, I hear the words that this person is saying. I comprehend what they're saying. But there's so many other levels, even listening when you're in person with somebody, listening by looking at their body language, like listening to how they're saying it, how they're presenting that information, their demeanor, all of that stuff factors into actually truly understanding and comprehending and, and listening to what they're saying. So yes, because uh, we don't listen to what somebody says. We hear what we think that they're saying. We hear what we think that they mean. We don't listen to what they're saying. We're not actually engaged in what they're saying. And so somebody may say that was great, but we may think they're saying that was well, great for you. Like they may be dismissing us, but if their body language is open, if they're joyous, if they've got light coming out of them, they're telling you that was great. Then we have to believe it was great and vice versa. So I think, I think it's, it's not just listening, but it's engaging and it's, it's really, it's, 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 it's being present. I love it. I love it. We have so, a whole conversation about just that. <laughs> and you know, what's funny is like, I, as, as we're talking about these rapid fire questions that we're spending our time on is, um, so many of these topics have actually come up in a couple of the most recent episodes of shareable. Uh, Robbie Samuels talks about having your body language open in a networking event. So it, it invites people in and how often do we consider that? I just had Phil Gerbyshack on and he was talking about active listening and the sort of things that he looks for and thinks about and tries to go about trying to pry out his information from people to build connection and add value. And it's like, these topics just keep coming up. And that's why I love this show so much. I love Fantastic. having people on and it just keeps coming up. Okay. So uh, next rapid fire question, you have already said that your superpower that you have is being able to see the greatness in people. So if you could add one more superpower, what would it be? Oh, I would want to fly. <laughs> I would love to fly. Interesting. I always find flight to be an interesting answer uh, because you could choose flight or teleportation and flight means like, hey, I'm just going to enjoy the journey and the freedom. Whereas teleportation is like, I just want to get there. You know? Oh, see, I'm never as happy as when I have an, a, a passport on one hand and an airline ticket on the other. My kids laugh at me because I take pictures of departure boards in foreign airports. I love departure boards. Like I love them. And not only do I love them, I love them in other countries that have non-Roman based letters, like, you know, Cyrillic in Russia or, or, or Chinese yeah. or whatever it is. I it just, there's something about a departure board where all of the cities are different names because they're in different languages or different letters that just gets my wanderlust going like crazy. I just, I so flying, like I want, I love the journey. That's awesome. And it's sort of like what we were talking about before about like the journey or the destination, enjoy the journey. In uh, just as a quick aside and a sad note, but in the Philadelphia Amtrak station, they just replaced the board that was like a physical board with a digital board. I know board. that was devastating. Devastating. Like everybody in Philly is like super I'm So unhappy. sad about that. Yeah. It was like, a, it was a beautiful relic from a time past that just had like this amazing nostalgia to it. All right. Final question. This is the most important of the rapid fire questions. So you can take a little bit of time if you need to, but uh, it's worded very specific. What is one thing everybody listening to this episode should go and do today? So the important functional part of that is that it has to be something that they can go and do today. What should they go do? Oh, I have to just pick one. Oh, that's going to be so hard. Okay. Um, I think, uh, uh, well, let's just talk about something that, that we talked about today. You should go on your social media. You should, you should unfollow that person who makes you feel bad. 
Yes. I just unfollow, just unfollow them. And if you feel bad unfollowing, just snooze them for 30 days. I just snooze somebody for 30 days who just popped up in my feed this morning. And as soon as he popped back up in my feed, I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize how much I was happy that he wasn't there until suddenly he popped back up. And now he's gone and he doesn't even know he's gone, but he's gone. He was just somebody who, he was somebody who just, he just took time away from my day and, and, and energy away from my goals and love out of my heart. And I just like, I didn't need him to be there with his, you know, his cash and his jets and all the rest of the, the BS. It's just, it's great. So I think the one thing people should do is they should just go get rid of one person who makes them feel crappy. Yeah. Or do what I did and just set aside two hours and just do it for everyone that you don't want to follow anymore. I recently did a full Facebook cleanse where basically it's only people I want to stay connected with professionally. And I enjoy seeing what's going on in their life and then close friends and family and everybody else got muted. Uh, I unfollowed them. They're still there. We're still connected. They can still see what I'm doing. If they want to watch me, if they don't, if they want to. And you can still look them up. If you're like, happen to have coffee with them and you know you're going to rinse them, you can look them up and be like, Oh yeah, now they they'll know that I'm in their life, but we don't have to have, we don't need to like, we, again, like I said, we don't have to go to every fight we're invited to. Like, by the way, I I wrote that as a note because that is a good reminder for me because there are times where I will get on Twitter, see a trending topic and then make the mistake of jumping into the comments. And I'm like, God, now I have to, I have to rip some people apart. are they making me do this? You know, now I'm here because I let, I, because, because somebody gave me a gilded invitation and I not only accepted, I walked into the door with like, you know, with, 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 with regal clothes on. I just, I'm like, here I am. We can be better than this. Well, uh, tell people where they can go and be social with you. Now's your chance in the show to tell people what you're working on, where they can go and get involved and how they can help you. Yeah. So the other thing people should do, right. (laughs) <laughs> they should go buy my book. Um, my book, Limitless, uh, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life is available on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, uh, everywhere fine books are sold. I am on all the socials with my positive and vulnerable message at, uh, at Hey LGO. So like, hey there, Hey LGO. And um, I, you can find me on HeyLGO.com also. And that assessment I mentioned earlier is LimitlessAssessment.com. Awesome. And here's what I would do. Uh, If uh, all of you listeners that are listening, if any of you tweet to Laura and tell her what your favorite takeaway from this show is, uh, we will select one person from that. And I'm going to buy a copy and send it to you so that you can read how to be limitless. Fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Look out, Mitch. This might be my favorite podcast after all. (laughs) (sighs) Got to compete with the hero. Um, (laughs) Well, I loved having you on. I would have you on a million times. Um, so yeah, please, please come back again. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep up with you and find out how the book is doing. Uh, hope to see you at our next speak and spill thing and all the different things that we're doing. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been so awesome to have you on. I guess if I had to summarize this show and say like one thing, aside from um, what's the word that you use, the, the uh, consonants, aside from consonants, if I had to define this show in one word, I would probably say it's shareable. Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Sohn because I don't have a website yet. 
So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible. Shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ahamitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value. 